Hello and welcome to Explorify Canada podcast. Join us as we sit with other Canadians at the roundtable. To discuss and sometimes argue about financial independence in Canada. All right, welcome everybody to Explorify Canada. I'm your host, Ryan Mirix, and joining me today from Vancouver, BC is Chrissy. Hello. Hello, how are you doing? I'm well. How are you? Good. Sweet. And from across the pond is not Mr. Money Mechanic, not the financial mechanic, but the money mechanic. Hey, buddy. Hey, man. I am. I have never been so nervous on a podcast in my life. <laughs> Why? <laughs> this, this is, is your own podcast. I, you yeah. know that, right? <laughs> I've. I've 2019 has been a fantastic year. I've been lucky to participate in two podcasts, and this is the most nervous I've ever been. <laughs> That's really weird. You think after about, I don't know, 30 or 40 episodes that you've done over your collaboration of two projects that you would be totally cool as a cucumber, but I guess talking about yourself is a little nerve-wracking. Hmm? Yeah, it it kind of is. I'm, I'm definitely not one to chat a lot about myself, but hey, we're doing our backstories and... Uh, kind of nice to talk about it and uh, it's nice to share i think it's important for our listeners so i'm gonna do my best here and we're gonna we're gonna jump in the way back machine and and go back to uh, a little money mechanic before we start i just want to share a tidbit with our listeners because i think it's funny that this is the umpteenth time we've tried to record this <laughs> the first time we tried zencaster did not work for us and did not record anything that we talked about for 45 minutes so this is uh, going to be fun to revisit your story, Money Mechanic, but uh, it, I think it it's an understatement to say that we're all a little frustrated with Zencaster. <laughs> yeah, just get your story out and leave it alone, you know? <laughs> but yeah, to, to say that this is, this is only the second round of recording, but this is probably the fourth <laughs> or fifth attempt to record. So hopefully this one goes on the books and into your earbuds. Yep. And if you're listening to it right now, we have succeeded. <laughs> So far, so good. And maybe that's part of my nervousness is the anticipation. (laughs) (laughs) Now I understand. I'm nervous as well. That's okay. That's why I made you initiate this recording. So I don't have to worry about it. I have no responsibility. (laughs) I showed up today. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So we're, uh, we're in the time machine. Where are we heading? Well, we're going right back, right back to when, uh, I think it's 1981. How far back is that? Some of us don't even remember that far back. Some of us weren't even born yet. Some of our listeners weren't. Anyway, uh, it's it's when I was uh, when I moved to Canada. I, I was not born here. I'm not. I am a Canadian citizen, but I was not born in Canada, and it felt just a little bit different than everybody that I met. Um, we had a different sort of initial start and in how things were going to work in life. And a little bit later on, I when I remember opening a bank account. That was a little later than eighty one. I'm not going to date myself too much, but uh, it was in it was in the early eighties, and that's kind of how I remember my first thoughts of money were. I my family was unfortunately broken up at that point. My parents were divorced, and I was with a single mother. And I learned very early on that that little bank book and the, those three zeros that I saw were the beginning, and it came down to the odd jobs, you know, we didn't really, I didn't really have a, an allowance as a child, but if you helped and you worked hard around the house, you might get a couple bucks. And 
I think we can all relate back then to uh, generous family members that gave you a little bit of money on your birthday or Christmas. And and I kind of just remember those very first days of living with a single mom. And I definitely, looking back at it, I didn't really think about it then, but looking back at it, I realized there was a bit of a scarcity mindset. And, and, and because there was, there was scarcity, there wasn't uh, a lot to go around. So not that I paid attention to that as a 10 or 12 year old kid, I did what everybody else did, but it wasn't long before I had to just become, uh, what's the right word to, to recognize that the value of, of work and earning a couple dollars was important. And it started like everybody else, I'm sure with having a paper route. And then when you could push a lawnmower, you'd push a lawnmower and you'd earn five bucks. And I, I loved my job as a assistant landscape keeper of the complex that we lived in. And I get to drive the drive-on lawnmower. When you're 13, driving a drive-on lawnmower is the bomb. But it uh, it afforded me a couple bucks. And at that point in in my life as a very, you know, that tween age, <laughs> I, was a, I was a really curious person. I, I took everything apart at home and kind of didn't realize that was setting me up for my future. And I took things apart because basically we couldn't afford to replace them. When things broke, they were broken and you didn't have it. So I just started taking things apart, much to my mom's chagrin, because there were a lot of things that never went back together. Because when you're 13, you don't get a lot of irons and kettles back together in functioning form. (laughs) Let's be fair. (laughs) You're a monster. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, it was terrible. Like, she'd come home like, oh, I took the phone apart. Great. (laughs) I still can't do that. (laughs) Well, that's how you learn. Exactly. And that's kind of (laughs) where I really, really think about my, where money, my first sort of thoughts of what money was to me in my life was kind of living, I I really don't want to call it too much of a struggle because um, my parents did everything they could to make life great for us, but I knew there wasn't the option to just go buy something new. That just wasn't a reality. So having a an old car, we always had some old jalopy that was forever in disrepair. And as I sort of got into my early or mid teenage years, of course, what's the first thing you want to do? Drive a car. I love cars. Of course, I want to drive a car. Well, I had to learn to fix it first, didn't I? So that was sort of those years of between getting a bank account when you're 10 and learning to save a couple bucks and having a Canada savings bond that actually paid some money, which is unheard of now. And and having some, you know, the odd jobs as a as a teenager, whether it was like I said, landscaping or delivering papers. Mm-hmm. Um it was just the reality for my childhood and I didn't really think anything of it other than that I knew that I couldn't afford to waste any money. I think it set some very early, maybe not the best early money mindset because like I said, I think I felt like it was a real scarcity back then. And there's a lot of talk now and within the community, whether we should have an abundance or a scarcity mindset. And it's an interesting philosophical discussion. But back then, I, I it was scarce. And I basically got told, 
as an older teenager that when you want the cool stuff, like having a Sony Walkman, you had to go and earn it because there just wasn't enough money floating around the house to buy you that flashy yellow waterproof Sony Walkman. I think that was something that at that time I didn't feel that I was deprived. It was more of a challenge. And I felt very rewarded when I went out and did the work and saved the money and paid for something in cash and I could call it my own and nobody could touch that. Question. Did you take apart the yellow Walkman? Oh, I would never take apart my own stuff because I knew the chances of getting it back together were pretty slim. <laughs> I see. I see. <laughs> but, you know, but that was good that you brought that up. Um, a lot of the things that we had around the house came from a garage sale or a secondhand store or there were there were no online classifieds back then, but some some sort of equivalent. So they were... I'm, I'm using air quotes here, high quality used items, <laughs> but uh, inevitably they needed to be repaired, just like our high quality used car did. You know, my, but the Walkman I bought, brand new, brother, brand new. <laughs> so that kind of uh, put me through my teen years um, through school. I always remember having a job and kind of just uh, money was something that I tried to save. You know, it was one of those things, I think we, how does the saying go? We fit our lifestyle or we fit our money around what we can afford and our lifestyle we can afford. And I did, I did the best I could to sort of keep up with the Joneses because I knew nothing better than that. I felt like I lived in a community that was very privileged with everybody else and where we lived. And I was definitely privileged to be a part of that. I just never felt I was at the high end of the scale and I was okay with that. It was just a matter of doing some work. And I think that's sort of what built into what I am today is that early work ethic, using your resources and, and being mindful with the money you had, because a lot of it came out of my own efforts. So that kind of transitioned for me into my early adulthood going to college and let's be honest, not knowing what I was going to do at college, but having some great mentors along the way. Uh, one of the things about working and, and working in lots of different jobs is it gave me a lot of life experience and a lot of exposure to people that were far wiser than I was and far wiser than the circle of adults that I knew. I was dealing with people that were entrepreneurs and small business people. And that was an opportunity that to learn from those people that treated you, you know, as a valued employee, but gave you wisdom from a completely different perspective that I found was very valuable. And it really helped guide me in my young adulthood. Uh, one particular gentleman who I worked for really helped me make my choice of what was the direction that I needed to take in in uh, education. And I kind of ended up locking out and following what I what I maybe should have been doing. I don't know. I couldn't I couldn't really afford to go to University of British Columbia for engineering, which I would have liked to do. But I have no regrets with what my choice was of going into aircraft uh, maintenance. And that was kind of something, 
you know, I did in my early twenties where I had to take out student loans. It was an interesting time because I think for a lot of us, you go through that transition into early adulthood, spending way more money than you ever think you will. You know, I had a girlfriend at the time, I had a car, you've got all your friends, you're 19 now, there's a lot of easy ways to spend money. But at the same time, you know you need to get your education, you need to get, quote unquote, a real job. So I have a question. You're talking about uh, taking out student loans to pursue aircraft maintenance. And I'm curious, did it ever occur to you that perhaps the military was a path? And if it did, how come you didn't choose it? Because I know that you've said before on previous podcasts that you've uh, never been a member of the service. Yeah, that's an interesting question. Where I lived and grew up, it just wasn't part of the community. I didn't have any friends that were involved in the military. We had, you know, I knew a few people that were in cadets and things like that. But I feel that on the West Coast here, we don't have a huge military presence from what you're relating to. I would have had to basically leave. I grew up in the lower mainland. I would have had to leave the lower mainland. There wasn't, it just never felt like an opportunity to go and do that. And by the time I was in my early twenties, making that career decision, it didn't even feel like an option. It was just was something that was not there for me. Everybody, we have a fantastic tech school here, uh, British Columbia Institute of Technology. And it, yeah, good question. It just wasn't even in the radar to consider that as an option. And and you're right. I maybe at that point, instead of spending a whole bunch of money on student loans, I that would have been a good option. Yeah, I guess that question kind of came out of left field a bit for our listeners. But I just thought with something as uh, industrious as aircraft mechanic, you know, like I think a lot of people would naturally point towards like the military for that type of technical skills. But I suppose you can make the same argument for anybody like becoming a pharmacist and taking student loans. Like, did you know they're pharmacists in the military? So I guess it's kind of a, a bit of a catch all kind of question. It was a it was an easy cheap shot. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, 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 not a cheap shot at all. I think I think that's a there's a lot of opportunity there for you know, the right people, the right time and the right place. Right. It just, uh, I didn't actually go into, uh, the technical school with the intention of working on aircraft. It was, I had decided that my psychology, criminology and geography degrees were not going to get me anywhere in college. There was no job possible at that point with those skills. And I just didn't know what the next step in that kind of education was. So I chose a technical school and I actually went in for electronics. That was my original trades training. And that it's funny now that I look back that trades training back then, I should have gone into telecom. What was I thinking? (laughs) I mean, that was the business to go into that. That was 24 years ago. Holy, why didn't I go into telecom? How did I get stuck working on a helicopter? Seriously. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, I've sent you guys pictures of my office when I'm getting to fly around the coast in a helicopter. But that's beside the point. uh, There's a little ways to go from where I am today from where I was then. Yeah, I was going to ask you about why you chose aircraft maintenance. It's it's kind of a niche industry. It's not really something that most people consider It, it. I don't know. To me, it seems like a dream job for a lot of people to be around aircraft. And what what made you consider going into that? But you've 
answer the question. You, you looked at other options and it was the thing that worked out for you. I remember my grandfather saying to me when I was quite young and, and actually, and this is not, it wasn't a prelude or a precursor to my decision at all, but he was in the Royal Air Force as a, as an aircraft mechanic. And I don't actually remember him telling me many stories about that, but I do remember him telling me one thing while he was alive. And he said, you'll never go wrong having trades training, regardless of what it is. You'll never go wrong. You'll never be out of work. You'll always find a job anywhere in the world if you have a trade, if you have a skill that you can offer. And that was kind of the, the talk I had with the influential business owner in my early 20s. He said, there's always time to go back to university. There's always time to get retrained. But if you have a skill, if you have a marketable trade, you'll never be out of work. And it, that actually made a lot of sense to me. And because I was, you know, mechanical at that point, which I, which is a little bit of an irony because I wasn't at all mechanical in school. I didn't take any shop classes. I didn't do carpentry. I didn't do metalwork. I didn't do shop. I didn't do any of that. I did academics, but I love taking things apart and sometimes putting them back together. I, it seemed like a good fit. It seemed like a, the kind of trade that I could get behind because I loved cars, but I didn't want to be a car mechanic because I'd been forced to be one out of need. And it's like, well, I'll just go fix aircraft. That sounds like fun. Well, I think what your grandpa said still applies today. Uh, trades, I think more than ever, are so important because we're, we're losing a lot of these skill sets in the general population because people are moving towards you know, university education and moving away from trades. But I think now there's hopefully more of a emphasis that these are important industries that need to be supported by skilled workers. I couldn't agree more. I've been I've been working on my own bathroom renovation, and <laughs> we've talked on the podcast before about I'm I'm a big supporter of DIY. But let me tell you, I have so much respect for every tile setter out there right now. <laughs> it is more like I I should be fixing an aircraft right now instead of putting tiles in my bathroom. It's setting tiles is harder. Let, I'm don't get me wrong. I have a ton of respect for people that do the beautiful work that they do in in all, all the trades. It's yeah. Anyway, well said, Chrissy, and and I agree with you. It's and don't be fooled and think that you're just just in a trades job because I have I've used more math put my tiles in my bathroom than <laughs> most accountants do. They just run spreadsheets. No, I'm just picking on accountants because, you know, I have one on the other show. So, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> always fun to pick on accountants. A kidney shot is always appropriate for the accountant. <laughs> I was going to say that it's perhaps a stark reality when you think about it that most people would rather work with an iPhone than with a wrench or that at least they know how to use an iPhone and not a wrench, right? Like that's pretty telling of our times in society. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's pretty interesting when it comes down to it. I think one of, I mean, we're getting a little off track on my story here, but I think one of the really valuable things that any kind of training from that sense is it gives you a very, it hones your analytical skills. And I think in the FI journey, most of us have found that having those kind of analytical skills give you some self-reflection to look at where your situation is and and do that analysis that needs to be done on your your spending and your saving and your earning and things like that so that you can move, move forward and make a good plan. And I've always found that any kind of 
trade your, your, you have to apply that kind of mindset. So it was beneficial for me in that sense, right at the beginning to kind of learn that here's the situation. Here's how you analyze it. Here's how you troubleshoot, be a good troubleshooter. You know, those were assets that I didn't have that I had, that I learned that, that, and it also, it brought it out of me at a, a young age and, and was able to develop. And I'm old enough now that I can look back and be very appreciative of those little things that helped me make better decisions. So that was sort of where I ended up with uh, a quote unquote career in my mid twenties, which was fantastic. I was excited. Uh, I was saddled with student loans, but nothing outrageous. I think I was in for the tune of $20,000, which by today's standards doesn't sound like a lot, but 20 years ago for my, uh, <laughs> my level of savings and income, that was, it was enough to be, uh, yeah, it didn't, you know, it was one of the things, right? It's an interest-free loan at that point. You've got a job. You're not going to worry about it. I, I took a pay cut going from my job driving trucks around Vancouver to fixing aircraft. But I knew it was going to be a career job and eventually I'd make a little bit more money. And it was just all about at that point in life, balancing fun because I'm in my mid twenties. Of course I'm doing stupid stuff with money. I had no savings. It was, here's the paycheck, paycheck to paycheck, right? Pay the student loan, pay living costs, have fun. Oh, I forgot to read The Wealthy Barber. I didn't save anything for myself. <laughs> and that was it. You know, I, I'd sort of grown up with that money was scarce. And at that point, it was pretty easy to find that everything was spent. You know, emergency fund. I was, I was just happy to have a couple hundred bucks left over type thing. I'd been into the credit cards, but not too deep. And, and so I think I found myself in a pretty typical situation in my mid twenties where I had negative net worth. I didn't have, I, you know, I had a rental, I had a, I had an old car, but it was pretty much, I would consider it a normal existence. I didn't, there was nothing awesome about it, but there was nothing bad about it either. It wasn't until I met my, the future Mrs. Money Mechanic and she had an opportunity to work overseas. So in our late twenties, we decided that, uh, well, I shouldn't say we decided she decided. <laughs> and I was kind of left wondering what my next move was at that point. There wasn't much chance that I could go where she was going, but through string of unlikely events, we had common connections and a I had an opportunity. So I decided that it was best to pack up my career that at that point I'd been working hard on for seven years to improve and, and earn more money that I should just leave Canada. I mean, why wouldn't you, right? New adventure. Blasphemy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I won't go off on too much of a tangent about that now, but uh, I I would love to talk to any listener that that says they don't want to do that, but I'll tell you why I did it. So she had this opportunity. And at that point, I, I did think to myself, well, I'm not going to leave Canada and leave debt on the table and be in a, you know, not a precarious financial position, but just, I think a normal one, right. With uh, a level of student loan debt and some consumer debt and, and really generally just 
living life, not having any kind of financial goals. Uh, so through luck and circumstance, I did have the opportunity to follow her where she was going, but I made a pact with myself. I was like, everything that I owned was going to be liquidated and every cash asset I had was going to go against my debts. And I was very, very proud of myself to leave Canada when I was 29 with zero net worth, no debts, no assets, just a plane ticket in my hand. Maybe a hundred bucks to get me like from wherever I was going to be when I landed, type thing. So that was kind of I. I feel it was a real inflection point in my life that everything I'd done up to that point had been working for something that I didn't really know existed because I didn't have a, any kind of long term plan. I'd been surviving. I made it through a challenging financial childhood. I'd got a job. I'd saved some money. I was in control of debts in a sense, but I didn't know what the future held. And this was such a transition to just go, that's it. I'm a non-resident of Canada. Imagine saying that to yourself. I'm a non-resident. I no longer have healthcare. I no longer have anything to do with Canada. I just left, but I left with a zero. And for some reason that felt awesome. And it was very interesting to have that kind of transition, that break, that inflection point, because it gave me renewed focus of what it, it gave me like an intermission where you're like, okay, part two, what's life next? And we were originally, we didn't have a planned date to come back, but the original contract for my wife was just for a year. And we went there together and it was probably the most together we'd really ever been because uh, she'd spent quite a few years at college before. And the nicest part was we went to a new challenge and a new place coming together with, she actually still had student loans behind her, but we came from a very similar money place. Her family growing up and her life through college and young adulthood was similar from a financial aspect. So coming together with a new start allowed us to kind of be on the same page. At the be- It's like we started at the beginning again. And we ended up spending almost five years abroad. And being an expat can be a very powerful accelerator for people in the right situation when it comes to income and savings. And Really, what I found was it was a break from our lifestyle because I think we're all susceptible to our how our lifestyle and uh, inflation, lifestyle inflation creep, and things like that happen in Canada. And when you don't have a clean break like that, you probably don't notice it. And I, I definitely didn't notice it. But by moving away and living somewhere else, there were two mindsets that happened. One was. I want to save as much money as I can while I'm here, but I also want to enjoy being here, but I also don't have all these other costs and expenses that I did at home. I didn't need a car. I didn't have to pay exorbitant taxes. I could save money. There were things that happened that were very, very beneficial for us while we were there. So that was uh, how we spent our early thirties and we moved back to Canada I think we were definitely behind the norm as far as I, I never like to do the comparison. You know, you hear how much should you have saved by your X age and how much should you have saved by this age? And I really don't 
like the financial comparisons that people do because we're all different. We all live different lives and it's just not right to do that. But we moved back in when we were 35 and I'd left with zero net worth and I came back with a positive net worth. And at that point, I had a wife and she'd worked hard on her debts. So, you know, we moved back. We moved back to Canada with no jobs to go to. We're just like, we were kind of done with that, what we were living with. And we're like, it's time to be back home. And here we were. And over the last nine or 10 years that we've been back, a lot of things have happened that probably wouldn't have happened if we'd never left Canada. The contacts that we made abroad helped develop us professionally. I got to work with an incredible small business entrepreneur while I was away. And I learned a lot of things that broadened my scope, uh, increased my skill set. I learned much more than just fixing aircraft. And my wife made connections in her industry. So when we moved back, didn't have the fear of not having jobs anymore. We knew we had skills. We knew we'd met people around the world. We'd networked. We were more prepared to enter our sort of middle young adulthood. What's the right word for that age? <laughs> uh, you know, with renewed vigor. And we didn't feel like we were under the burdens that we were when we left. Um, it was just kind of an interesting, again, like that was like a chapter that existed that I highly recommend for people if they're interested in that. It gave us a nice break from the, do I, do I want to be negative and say like the day-to-day expectations of North American life? I, I'm not sure what the right word is for that, but. The grind. Is it the grind? Mm-hmm. The nine to five grind, homie. Hey, I didn't go through a drive through in five years. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Money Mustache would be very proud. <laughs> Yeah, no doubt, right? Anyway, uh, yeah, no, so we moved back and unfortunately, my father passed. He left a small amount of money that really was the kicker for us to be able to buy a property. And I think that really was the next big change in our life. We'd, we'd amalgamated finances. We were in control. Debt wasn't an issue. Um, it felt like we were really turning the corner and we were very, very lucky at that time to enter real estate in the Victoria area. And it wasn't long after that, that I was working abroad again, more on a a travel back and forth business with that. I fell into the blog that was mentioned by a good friend of mine, uh, this this guy you might have heard of him, Mister Money Mustache. I, he's written. He, I think he's written a post or two or something. I don't know. I I just hear he likes bicycles. That's why I liked him at the beginning. <laughs> no, I I went deep, deep, deep down the rabbit hole. I was I was working overseas, sitting in the Amazon jungle, and all I had to do was read every single one of his posts. So that was probably uh, I don't know, twenty thirteen, twenty fourteen, and. Uh, yeah, you know, it really felt so close to home because it felt like he really spoke to my my do-it-yourself, my get off your ass, figure it out, learn how to do it. It, it spoke to the life I felt I'd lived because I'd always been compelled and forced and had to learn how to do things. So it really kind of opened my eyes. And I was at the point where I was very, very lucky to have my life 
kind of working in the right direction, but it was nowhere near optimized. So it was just such an eye-opener to have that knowledge come flooding in. And then, of course, you go deeper down the rabbit hole into all the rest of the great content out there. And I instantly went on this, I've got a destination now. That's how it felt. You know, you know, you kind of feel like you've been working and you're getting better and you're incrementally getting better, but you don't really know why. And it was such an empowering thing for me to find in my late 30s, which obviously makes me too late for fire <laughs> for most people. But it, it turned my life around. It gave me a new direction. And hey, here we are, 2019. Um, been working hard and saving hard and... It's amazing that I'm here sharing this story with our listeners because I wouldn't be doing that without a lot of the influence and and lucky choices I made along the way. It sounds like you went to the Amazon, the mechanic, and then you came out of it, the money mechanic. Uh, yeah, that's actually not a bad one. <laughs> <laughs> you can put that in your bio if you want. I was going to say about Mr. Money Mustache, I, I read your article about your criticisms of Choose FI <laughs> and how you mentioned that Todd Tresseter was not really veiling his his disdain for Mr. Money Mustache all that well. And I, I agree with you. I love the man, Mr. Money Mustache. He has changed so many lives for the better. And I feel like it, a, a lot of us were like you, Money Mechanic, where we were generally living the right way and handling our finances properly, but they were not fully optimized. And yeah, he can be a bit extreme in some areas, but he woke me up to the possibilities of just a how a little bit of tweaking and how looking at things slightly differently could make a massive change in our lifestyle and the rest of our lives and how early we could be free from being obligated to work for money. It it was eye-opening in a way that I've never experienced in my life. I've never felt that transformation, like same as you, where you read something and you, you just connect with it so deeply. And for me, it wasn't so much the DIY stuff. It was just his overall attitude about you know not consuming so much and living a happier life and not trying to live to other people's expectations. All of that, it just... Awoken, you know, awoke me to this whole new world, and I'm so glad I found him. Yeah, I think that's that's well said there. You know, I, I agree with you. I I felt like I was already pretty frugal because I grew up frugal. I didn't have a choice, so those parts of me were already there. I just hadn't honed it to be a skill. You know, they were there from necessity, and I was just I was almost resentful of that in a way because. I was part of the consumer culture where getting more and having more made me feel like I had done well and become more important. Um, I'd, I'd never really done that, but at the same time, yeah, you're right. Having that, the, his written word was so powerful. And I love, I love the way he writes that it, it was the right message. It was like, yeah, you don't need the, clown car and the rest of it it's about your happiness it's not about the money and i think a lot of people miss that message that's underlying here that 
we should probably talk more about and and some of the people in this space are talking about the philosophy of money and and the happiness and that's really what i've learned is it really does boil down to it's it's your freedom and it's your happiness money is just a tool mm-hmm. well that's what they just talked about ryan and three of our listeners discussed in the meetup that was just released uh they talked about this. It's not about the money. The goal for five for them was to spend more time with family. And yet the focus isn't on the money. And unfortunately, that's the way it seems like. But really, when it comes down to it, that's not. It's just a means to an end. And the end is happiness and being able to spend our time as we choose. Yeah, if I can use an analogy here, I think if you look at how to put together the pieces of a puzzle, before Mr. Money Mustache came along, Um, I think a lot of us were trying to put puzzles together that weren't from the same set and we were just having a hard time. And some of us were doing okay and some of us got lucky and some of us were figuring out clever ways to put this puzzle together, but it was never really going to work. And then along comes Pete and he can accurately tell you in a very entertaining way that you have two damn different puzzle pieces and you need to... You need to start separating them and decide what you want from your life, decide what you value from your life. And that's what I really like about Mr. Money Mustache's writing, you know, the overarching theme of value and purpose. I mean, that's why we all pursue financial independence or FIRE or financial freedom or whatever acronym you want to call yourself. That is why we choose this path. And once you can align values with purpose and you realize that money is only a tool and not the end state, you'll be much happier for it. Yeah, and I think we we've all I know all three of us have and and other people we communicate with have gone. You get when you have that transition, that inflection point where you go uh, that aha moment, and it's something that each one of us needs to find in our own way. But once you have it, you can never you can never unsee, you can never unknow what you know at that point. And now it's just like I want to know more, I want to learn more, I want to do more, and we go into this full-on transition that I found usually lasts about a year to two years. And once you've got that dialed in, you start a blog. (laughs) (laughs) Or a podcast or or both. both. (laughs) But it's but it's true, right? Because you become you become so passionate about the subject that you're like, why how how did this take me so long to figure out? I need to tell somebody. Yeah. I, I feel that too, where you feel like you got to stand on the rooftops and shout it out to the world. Yeah. So we don't need to go down that rabbit hole. That's for another show. But uh, yeah, that's kind of, you know, I've I've had an interesting journey in that sense. I, I, I've, I feel like I'm much closer to my roots now than I was for the last 25 years. I'm much closer. It's very interesting. I have a very good relationship with my mother and my sister. And I love my sister dearly because she's transitioned too. She she has uh, twins and she's frequently shopping on the the used uh, networks to buy things for the kids. And my mother loves a good thrift shop, like love, love, loves. And I, I give her a hard time. I'm like, really? Did you really need to buy that? But I absolutely love that she goes to the thrift store and buys something for $5 and her face lights up <laughs> instead of going and buying some, you know, high priced shiny object at a big box store. Um, you know, it's, <laughs> I, 
I love it. We can we can have a laugh now and we can look back at being uh you know, for what Canada is, we were we were fairly fairly poor. And we can look back now and, and probably spend the same amount of money, but it's by choice and it's on purpose and it's mindful now. Well, I think that was a great way to end the story. That's wonderful. Thank you for sharing, Money Mechanic. I, I love that you showed how there are different ways where the scarcity mindset plays out, you know, from childhood. Some people, they go nuts, you know, when once they have enough money in adulthood, they go crazy because they were so deprived for all of their childhood. But you went the other direction, which it seems like half of people go one way and half people go another way, where that scarcity led you to actually be better with your money because you knew how precious it was. Yeah, I I couldn't agree with that more. I know there's discussion out th- uh, out there that you should switch from to a, an abundance mindset and and know that there's always an opportunity to earn money and things like that. And I, I don't disagree with that, but I still even though now that I'm on this path to FI and and feeling control of finances, I don't look at money as like a scarcity sense in that way, but I value it. I, I value, I I love the line in your money or your life that every dollar represents your time. So it would be irresponsible to waste that money because that means I've wasted my time. And that's, it's not a scarcity mindset. It's a value mindset for me. Well, thanks for sharing your story, Money Mechanic. I thought it was awesome. It was. It's always great to hear the backstories of the people that you're getting to know on these podcasts. And I, I think Ryan and I both didn't know some of the things that you shared. So uh, I thank you for sharing your story. Yeah. And I definitely shout out to our listeners that if they are interested in expat living or aircraft maintenance, if you're actually interested in that, uh, please reach out in the comments or, or send us an email. I'm more than happy to share more details about, you know, those interesting life choices that for me are a little different, but they've, I've afforded travel around the world with work and I have no regrets. Yeah, well, that was great. I really enjoyed listening to your backstory. You're quite an interesting character. I even think we'll keep you around. <laughs> well, that's the best news this morning. <laughs> Now I'm looking forward to the next podcast episode where you're going to reveal the 90,000 different investment vehicles that you have because every time I listen to you talk about <laughs> investments, I swear you say like, you yeah, have a little bit of money there. I, I got a little, yeah, I got a few bucks over there. You know, Vigro, Lending Loop, Arm's Length Mortgages, Smith Maneuver, you betcha. Tree. <laughs> did, did you listen? Yeah, Tree, did you listen to the most recent one about socially responsive investing? I'm dabbling in socially responsible index funds now. Look at you. Policing the world. <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 in an attempt to be the most transparent and honest I can be as a content creator. I like it. I can get behind that message. Right on. Well, I'm looking forward to the next show. Thanks for listening. You can find all our show notes at explorifycanada.ca. Do you like what you're hearing? Help us grow by sharing the show with friends and family. Please subscribe and leave us a comment or review on your favorite podcast directory. You can also find us at our own blogs, figarage.ca, canadianfire.ca, or eatsleepbreathefy.com. Our music today was provided by Purple Planet. We'll be back with another episode soon. We'll talk then.